Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon. Hey everyone, it is my great pleasure to introduce the titillating tap dancing treasure who's full of charm and love and cheer, my dear friend Mr. Cameron Hobbs. We start by talking about his long-term relationship with his boyfriend Stephen and how they have made the most out of life during a global pandemic. Cameron tells stories about his dad, his twin brother, and his understanding of the Midwest mentality. He shares his experience growing up in a community that was skewed by conservative viewpoints and how to meticulously remove what is ingrained in us from an early age. We go on to discuss the false standards of success, not being afraid to say no, and the fear of letting people down. Cameron gifts us with the possibility that you can find happiness at any point in your life as long as you live in those present moments. Enjoy. Wow, I'm so happy you're here. Me too, I'm nervous. Yeah, I know. Tell, I, I'm, I'm so curious because I've been thinking about it so much. Well, Steven never got back to me, so he's dead to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think it's so interesting because I was saying to Kristen, I was like, you always have, like, you always seem to have stuff to talk about. I mean, you want me to <laughs> tell you an hour of pointless stories? I got you covered. <laughs> but I feel like with podcasts especially you have to say something like profound or you have to say something meaningful or something that resonates with people right so like i'm just like thinking about that you know i was like looking up oprah inspirational quotes on the way here i was like okay (laughs) i just have to incorporate these in the podcast that's so fun well i'll be waiting for this to to, to come in naturally i also got dressed up for the podcast i was like well i have to do my hair hair. (laughs) put on a nice outfit it's gonna look good feel good Yeah. yeah yeah so how's the day been so far woke up that's the, the, that's what I have to strive for every day. Is Steven is, is waking up. Is Steven still sleeping in the other bedroom? He is. Is he really? We are sleeping in separate bedrooms right now, but, but not because you're fighting. But not because we're fighting. We are. <laughs> it honestly makes me miss him. But also, I have not slept better really in the last like few months than when I'm sleeping alone in my bedroom. Yeah, and he's sleeping alone in the guest bedroom. Yeah, because he's is he still like coughing a lot? And like... It's not even so much the coughing. I think it's just like you know. I think I sleep well with other people in the bed because I am like conscious that there's someone on the other side of the bed. So I like. Even when I'm sleeping, I'm like, I have to keep myself, like, in a tight little, like, you know, burrito so I'm not rolling over and kicking and hitting them. And, like, when you know you have a bed all to yourself, like, I think I woke up, like, you know, sideways in the bed. Yes, you just can sleep in an X. And and he said the same thing. He's like, I haven't slept better. You know, I slept like a rock. So that is so real. It's just nice to know that we have that. I, t- I did yeah. ask him last night. We were like hugging in the doorway between the two bedrooms, and I was like, "When are you gonna? When are we gonna stop this? When are, <laughs> when are, when are you gonna come back to bed?" And, wow. uh, but it's it's been really a nice. I don't want to say break, but it's been nice to like yeah. you know just sleep hard. Well, especially going from having a roommate and then yes. like now you guys you haven't been alone that much. No, like not at ever. All. You know what I mean? Like together alone. You know? It's weird because it's like we ha- we're we're like oh we should use this time because we're always apart. And then now like you know we're like we're together. We you know can sleep in the same bed for the first time in years. Like you know for an extended period of time. And now we're like oh we can't wait till our sublet is gone so Stephen can sleep in a separate bedroom yeah, because yeah. we need you know to sleep <laughs> in separate beds for like three nights. Yeah, I always find that interesting. Like I think about the expectations of what we should be doing in relationships versus like when you're actually like in a long-term relationship like you you and like Kristen and I are like not just a year not just two years but like 
you guys have been together for six years. Yeah. So like off and, and on, off and on. Yeah. We'll, we'll say four and a half, really, if you count. You know, but like <laughs> right, it's right. been six years since we met. I think like oh, well, we're together. We should be doing everything together. We should be sleeping together. Like we should be like spending all of our time together and stuff. But like. I don't think that's, like, normal for human beings at all, you know? No, not at all. I used to always think it was weird as a kid, too, when, like, my grandparents would sleep in a separate bedroom or something. Right, you know? like, right. It's been the healthiest thing <laughs> were... for my relationship, you know? <laughs> and they were probably so comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, clearly I don't have that option because I live in, in a closet, but, like, <laughs> that's why relationships are so difficult once you enter that next stage, that next, like, level of, like, okay, we've been together the honeymoon phase or whatever is over like we've been dating for a long time we've been through things like good and bad now we're just like still together what do we do yeah you know like how do we well i think that for especially for steven and i because we've like broken up and gotten back together and he was on the road and i was on the road and i was on a cruise ship and i think that our relationship kind of have has always felt up in the air we're mm-hmm. like, are we together? Are we not together? We love each other. Circumstances are what they are. So, like, right now, to be moving into an apartment together, I think, like, really solidified it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, well, it's just a pretty crazy time right now. And, and for you both to have been working separately and, like, traveling around the country, and then all of a sudden, both those contracts are cut short. Yeah. And now you're together. And now, I, well, what, so... Were you actually... No, you were in Texas. I was in Austin, yeah. And he was where? He was in Salt Lake City. And then, so, there were, like... Because I, I can remember us talking about it. There were, like, whispers of things. Are they going to close it down? What's happening? And then Broadway shut down. And then, like, all of a sudden, they're telling you to pack up. It's done. Yeah. Well, for us, it was very weird because we were on a college campus, which those shut uh-huh. down... Before most things did. I mean, everything kind of shut down at the exact exact same time. But I remember my mom works at the university. I remember her calling me and being like, hey, just to give you a heads up, we are shutting down for the rest of the semester. You guys are on a college campus. You may be shutting... If they shut down the campus, they're going to have to shut down the show. So I had already called Stephen being like, maybe I'll fly to Salt Lake and meet you. Because we were going on vacation the week following. So already we were going to be meeting in Mexico. So I was like, what if I meet you in Salt Lake and then we go together Mm -hmm. and we just like change my flight. But we got the notice. We opened on a Wednesday night and Thursday we had two shows. And I remember being at the matinee and we hadn't even, it wasn't half hour call yet, but our costumer, head of wardrobe and I were in our trunk area getting into our stuff and she told me, she was like, I wouldn't unpack anything, like, we're done after this matinee performance. For the remainder of Austin, not the remainder of the tour, which we only had about seven weeks left anyway. So I said, oh, okay, like, crazy. I called Stephen right away. I said, hey, I'm going to be looking at flights to Salt Lake. I'm just going to leave all my stuff. We'll go to Mexico. I'll join the tour back up in San Antonio. And then we found out the show, yeah, was closing for the remainder of the time. So now looking back on it, it was very idiotic. But, like, the entire cast was like, let's rage. We're in a college town. All these bars were here for another week and a half. Like, let's rage. So we all went out that night and, like, partied and drank and bar hopped. And then the next night, everyone's like, let's do it again. And so that would have put us at Friday. So Friday, all day long, I was hanging out with two of my friends from the tour. And we were drinking, shopping, doing all the things, you know, 
no mask, just, you know, throwing all cares to the wind. And then around five o'clock, we got an email. And I had already booked my flight to Florida. Stephen found out his tour was closing Thursday night. I had booked a flight to Florida. Stephen and I were like, let's cancel our trip to Mexico. Let's just go to Florida and Miami, where his family is from anyway. We will get a nice hotel. We'll just stay and we'll, you know, make the most of it there. Yeah. Um, and we got an email Friday around 5 p.m. that the tour was closed for good. So that hit really hard, too, because I was like, not only are we closed for good, but now I have a flight to go see Steven. So it was this, like, weird moment because I was like, I'm so excited to see my boyfriend. I'm so sad the tour is closing. Do I change my flight to stay longer with my cast? I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I also hate goodbyes. So, like, is this my chance to just, like, leave on a high note because we were, like, celebrating in Austin and Austin was such a fun time for those few days that we were there that I was just like, what an array of emotions that I was feeling. But then, yeah, so Steven and I met in Florida and then, again, we had no idea what was going to happen, how long we'd be there, and now our lives... It's really, I mean, taken a turn. But for the better, like, we were in Florida for a few months. We went to Indiana with my parents for a few months. And then it just got to the point where we were like, we've never had this time. We've never spent this much time together since the first year we started dating. We've never spent, since the first year we started dating in 2014, we have not spent more than, like, two consecutive months together. Yeah, I think the longest time was, like, a month and a half. So six weeks we had spent together in the last five years yeah so we just hit this we were like is it smart to move back to new york city and get a cute apartment or do we stay in quarantine and save our money and i was just like steven we may never get this time again like you know you know what's gonna let's nest let's finally create a home together and solidify like i maybe this is like the point like this dependency that we were talking about and independency like I feel I wanted to take our relationship to the next level. Like we had been together for six years and kind of just been up and down. So we were like, if we move into this apartment, like not only is that going to be the next step for like us and our relationship, but it just seemed like the best thing mentally and emotionally for us in the moment. Yeah. And I feel like it's definitely helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. It ended up being like the best thing. Yes. In the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, man, because, like, of all the shit that's happening because of COVID, like, to know that, like, you probably wouldn't be in this place. Maybe, I don't know, but you probably wouldn't be in where you're at in life right now with no. Steven had had it not happened. No, absolutely not. You know? Again, it's, like, this weird feeling because it's, like, there's so much, so many horrible things happening in the world right now. And, yeah. And COVID and our careers are up in the air. But we have, like, the nicest apartment we've ever lived in. And we're very fortunate. We're very grateful. Yeah. We have the nicest apartment we've ever lived in. We have the cutest dog. Yeah. And, our, I, like I said, I just feel like our relationship has improved exponentially because of this, like, step we've taken. And, yeah, had these circumstances not have happened, like, we wouldn't be in this situation. And we always talk about that a lot. We don't talk about so much the apartment, but we talk about not having Augie, our dog. Right. We're like, if... COVID didn't happen, we would have a different dog. We were talking about already getting a dog in Chicago, and had that not, had COVID not happened, we wouldn't have our dog, which yeah. is really, really crazy. It's crazy. Think I, I think, how has the relationship evolved over time to the place that you're in now? Like, could you be here without that sort of thing? Or is it because you're understanding each other more as individuals that you've, like, now been at this place where, like, 
you'll never take anything for granted again in your relationship. You know what I mean? Well, Kristen and I kind of talked about this once. You know, she was saying since you guys got married, she was like, I thought that nothing would change. I thought that it would feel the exact same. Mm -hmm. She's like, but it has changed. It's like this sense of, I don't want to say ball and chain, but it is like this sense of there's no going back now, you know? Right. And I think that Stephen and I needed that. I think that because he was on tour and I was on tour and we had broken up and gotten back together so many times, we were just kind of like, well, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But taking that step and moving in together, it kind of made this, like, no going back now. Like, we're forced to be in this for a year. So now when we get into fights, I find myself, and I hope that, Stephen, if you're listening to this, I hope that you have found this too, I'm trying to be more transparent about what I'm feeling as well as being more open to receiving his transparency. Because I'm like, if I'm annoyed with him or if we're fighting, I can't go to my old apartment and sleep there or sleep in separate apartments or hang up the phone and he's in Salt Lake and I'm in Austin and be like, we'll talk about this tomorrow. Right. It's like, well, we could sleep in separate bedrooms. But, you know, <laughs> most of the time we're sleeping in the same bedroom. So I'm like, I we need to figure this out now. We, yeah. we have this rule in our relationship that we don't go to bed angry. I love that. We don't go to bed upset with one another my mom taught me that and because i've always heard a lot of people have said it's okay to go to bed angry yeah and i don't know if i necessarily agree with that i used to be that way yeah i used to be like whatever i'm very much a person who i've realized over the years needs my space i speak quickly i react quickly without thinking okay so I try in my relationship, I try in my friendships, I try with my family to, if I am upset, really take a step back. If it's 20 minutes, if it's two hours, if it's a day, whatever it is, take a step back and really evaluate what I'm feeling and how I need to put that into words because it has caused a lot of stress throughout the years, reacting too quickly. And I know a lot of people have this problem. But Stephen and I, when we get into arguments, I think now he is realizing and I am realizing that I just need to take a minute. I can go into the other room. I can go for a walk. I can go somewhere, come back, but figure it out that night. Before we go to bed, we need to talk about this and and figure out what exactly is the root of the problem. Yeah, and I feel like most of the time it's really not that big of a deal. Not at all. You know, like, I I have found that, too. Like, a lot of my reflection will come, like, in the shower. Because, like, in this small apartment, that's one of the only places, you know, that's, like, truly separate. Uh And, like, so I'm just thinking, and and after five, ten minutes go by, I realize that, like, I can't even pinpoint the origin of why I was getting upset. And I think a lot of the times that I get upset at Kristen it's really just because I'm not capable of understanding like why I'm angry in the first place and if I sort of draw the timeline back to that I'll realize that like I just got angry for no reason Steven does this really annoying thing where he (laughs) he will say what are you feeling okay (laughs) and I'll say annoyed and he's like no 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 <laughs> he'll say what is the word and he'll be like no 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 that's what that's the emotion but like why what 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 are you feeling and right. I'm like I just told you <laughs> I, I'm annoyed but he'll be like no 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 annoyed isn't a feeling you know right and right. so I get so mad and then then I'm like okay I need 20 minutes to go like you know to a separate room and yeah. think about this yeah or I'll be like I don't want to talk about this right now And then I'll get thinking about it because then I'm like, well, why am I feeling this way? And it does take me back to my childhood. Okay. And I think that I had a very good childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, my my parents did split up when I was pretty young. 
I think officially they split when I was in like sixth grade, okay. but it was kind of fifth and sixth grade. Like, what is that? 10 and 11? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Whenever they were kind of on the outs. Okay. When I look, when I think back on my childhood, I don't think that, like, I think I have very fond, very happy memories of being yeah. a child. But then whenever I get in, whenever he's like, you know, get to the root of the problem, get to the root of why you're feeling this way. I do take it back to things that I experienced as a child. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I guess I did see my dad do that to my mom. Or right. I did see, you know, my dad reacted very quickly with anger. My dad would storm out of the house and be like, this is another. Th- OK, he would not talk about the problem. He would be like, I'm going to storm out of the house, but not to give himself like a few hours and come back and talk about it. He was like, we're not not going to talk about it. it. And I think it's a Midwest mentality. And I've been talking about this a lot recently with the election and just their mindset. And I grew up in the Midwest, but they sweep things under the rug Mm. or they make everything look presentable. And I think, unfortunately, now it's carrying into this generation because social media it's just so easy to sweep your problems under the rug and present yourself in this light right but i think my family did that a lot sweep things under the rug you know if my grandma ever was mad about something you know she just wouldn't talk to you for a few weeks and then you'd come back together and nothing it was like nothing had ever happened they never ever talked about it so i think these are things that i'm figuring out because steven asked me these questions Mm -hmm. that i'm faced with i haven't gone to see a therapist by myself. Steven and I have been in couples therapy before, but I've never seen a therapist by myself. So Steven is acting as my therapist. Right. Right. When he asked me these questions and then I am getting down to, to it and I'm like, Oh shit. Like, I guess this did come from my childhood. I guess like, Oh my gosh, I am treating him this way because my dad treated my mom this way or, Mm. Oh my gosh, that is exactly what my mom did. Like sweeping things under the rug and making it look presentable. And again, like, it's no ill intent. Like, it's, it is just ingrained in them as well. It was taught to them. They taught it to us. The good thing about our generation is, and not, you know, unfortunately with the social media thing, people do sweep things under the rug, but I also feel like there is a lot more transparency. And I think that mental health wasn't a huge topic back then. I remember when I came out of the closet, my mom saying this, she was like, your, if your grandmother finds out, she will want you to go, like, be evaluated. Or she wants, she's going to want you to go see, like, a specialist. Wow. And I remember one time I was going through a breakup, and I, it was the series premiere of Gossip Girl. And I was eating an entire, like, tub of Snickers ice cream. And I was watching the first episode when... Blair finds out that Serena slept with Nate and I was weeping into the ice cream and then eating my tears with the ice cream. And my mom came in and was like, do you need to go see like a therapist? And I was like, why would you ever accuse, like accuse me of being like so emotionally distraught that I need to go to the therapist? Like, and even her, like at the moment she was like, I know, like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Like, I don't want you to. It's just ingrained in us that it's like, going to see a therapist is bad. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to see a couples counselor, like it's bad. Yeah, problem. Yeah. It mm-hmm. it mental health, even for our generation, yes, like these yes. 30 year olds, like it was frowned upon yes. to talk about mental health back then. Yeah. It is coming to light now for our generation and our children's generation will luckily 
and hopefully still, you know, maintain this emotional, mental health, transparency and openness. Yeah. Questioning. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that it will stay that way. Yeah, me too. But yeah, so for my parents' sake, like I understand why my mom would think those things. And even I still sometimes when I see people posting too much emotional transparency on Facebook, I'm like, why would you share this? Or on Instagram, like, and then I'll talk to Stephen about it and Stephen's like, well, why do you think you feel that way? And they're like, (laughs) oh shit, it's like a full circle. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I want this emotional transparency, but also then I'm shitting on people who are being emotional trans, you know, transparent. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. I it's really that Midwest do. mentality. You know, I think, I really think it is. I'm like, even in my gayness, mm-hmm. like, I think sometimes I'm like, oh shit, am I a homophobic homo? Not so, I'm not homophobic, but I'm, I, there are things that I see gay guys do and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. And it's just now starting to resonate with me that I'm like, oh like I think my my conservative views from my family and my, the conservative area that I grew up in in Indiana like it is inherent like it is ingrained in me to think these things yeah like I was so afraid of being flamboyant or being outwardly gay when I was younger and I remember friends or family members knowing that I was gay just being like be careful like when you're out and about like you know, if you're at the Applebee's after a, ba- a baseball game or a basketball game and someone sees you being too flamboyant or something, like, it could not only affect, like, you emotionally, but also physically they could want to beat you up or it may affect your family members, you know, how they're how they're treated in the community. I remember someone oh from the church telling me, being like, oh, just so you know, my mom heard from another parent that you might be gay And she said that she's going to talk to your grandma about it. Like all these things where it was like your grandma may be looked on upon badly at the church because you're gay. And so I think that it was like, like I said, ingrained in me to be like, oh crap, I need to be macho or I need to be, I need to hide or suppress this gayness or this flamboyant side of myself. And so now when I see people in New York being flamboyant or outwardly gay I'm like oh my gosh why are you doing that like you know you have to you're gonna it's gonna affect your safety and it's gonna affect your emotional happiness because you know people are gonna look down upon you and when in all actuality I'm like oh my gosh they are being their true authentic self and it wasn't until recently where I'm like oh my gosh it's my problem the way I view them is not their problem the way I view them is my problem it's my insecurities and my suppression that I faced as a child and growing up that I'm then putting on them like my when I was home in Indiana quarantining with my family, so I live right over the bridge from Louisville, Kentucky. They were doing a vote for my school district for mental health. They were trying to get tax dollars to pay for mental health in the elementary school system, and it was denied. Like truly, the town voted, and it was denied. So just like <laughs> even now in twenty twenty, uh, the conservative, close-minded ways still are in, ingrained in yeah. the town that I grew up in, well, which is so, so sad. Yeah. But, and I think that, I don't know if it's because I moved to New York and it's just a lot more cultured mm-hmm. and a lot more accepting here, mm-hmm. or if it's just, I have friends back home who are probably even more understanding and open than I am, but 
I think that it is going to take time, but it's just going to take talking about it and being who you are and just being open. Like I had you talk to me or even talk to my parents 20 years ago, 15 years ago about all this stuff, gayness, you know, transgendered, whatever it is, even racial injustice. Yeah. I feel like they wouldn't have been as open to discussing it. And I think just through, maybe because I moved to New York and I will come home and I will talk to them about these things, their minds are open, but I think it's just having a conversation. Yeah. Having, not an argument, just an open conversation asking them questions. Just the way Steven does with me about our relationship. Yeah. He just asks me questions and then it gets me thinking. Yeah. So then I'll ask my mom questions about why she thinks, why she thinks the way she does. And then she'll come back to me, like, even a few months later, a few weeks later, and be like, you know, you said this to me, and I, it, it made me wonder. You know, and when we were home, it was so sweet. My mom, we would wake up in the morning. Of course, we would wake up at, like, 10, 30, 11. Of course, and she's yeah. been awake since 6, 37. <laughs> and so she's like, in the four hours that I've been sitting here, she's like, I found these articles. And so she wow. would, like, start sharing articles with us. And I just think it, yeah, it's just conversation. I have a twin brother and an older brother who both went to school for basketball scholarships. They played sports all through high school, all through elementary, middle school. I'm trying to think like when it was that I was like, I don't want to do sports. Like when I branched out from that, I want to blame it on my friend Carly, who her brother was our age and played sports with my brother's. And we all played together. But then Carly was the girl. The only really, like, girl, I guess, that was, like, close family friends. It was all boys. Right, right. Except for Carly. And she was a cheerleader and in theater. Okay. And so I remember she, when I would get tired because I wasn't good at basketball in our backyard, like, playing with our friends in the neighborhood, I'd be like, Carly, like, teach me a cheer. So then she, like, taught me a cheer. And then she would, like, do a back handspring. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. Oh, so shit. then she would stack towels in my basement for me to stand on and do backflips off of. She's like, this is how you get higher off the ground so that you can do it. And I would land, like, on my knees on, like, a thin layer of carpet on concrete in our basement. And, yeah, I don't know. And then she started doing theater, and I just wanted to be like her. Wow. And she just was so fun, and she was so creative, and she would always do things. And my mom would always talk about, like, oh, my God, look at this art, these arts and crafts that Carly did. She's so creative. And I was like... Oh, yeah, I want to do that. So I think she was, like, my inspiration to branch out of that. I remember, though, my real dad did not like that I started... I started to branch out. (laughs) I'm thinking, like, oh, shit, did this lead to their divorce? No, they they were in an unhappy marriage, and I'm very happy that they found other people. But I remember them getting into fights because I was like I want to do cheerleading like I want to do gymnastics and my dad was like no my real dad was like no you do not like he cannot do gymnastics like no he needs to play baseball or basketball I remember being in the backyard and him making me as the as the sun was going down like it was getting dark and he still made me practice like baseball just him and I my other brothers had like fulfilled the quota right right? like you know had like met his expectations so they got to go inside and eat dinner and my mom like standing on the porch yelling rick like let him come inside and he was like no we're not done yet and me just crying like throwing a baseball oh my god yeah and and then 
my mom used to sign me up for cheerleading and lied to him and I think told him that like her and I were going on like you know shopping dates or we were going to a movie or something but she would take me to gymnastics or she would take me to cheerleading practice so when did you how old were you when you that was fourth grade okay is when I started taking gymnastics and like regularly and then eventually I think she told him about it and he was not happy about it. He never really came to any of my competitions, my cheerleading. So I started gymnastics first. I did that for about eight to nine weeks. And then I saw the cheerleading team practicing next to the gymnastics, like, you know, floor. And I was like, oh my gosh, they get to throw girls in the air and they're doing backflips and like jumps and all this stuff. And I wasn't really the best at like the pommel horse and the parallel bars that men's gymnastics do. So I was like, I want to just do cheerleading. I just want to do backflips and throw people in the air. So I switched. But yeah, my brothers and my dad, they wouldn't really come to my competitions. They were very busy with AAU basketball, so I would imagine that's probably why. But then when my parents split, I was like, I enjoyed theater, but I think I enjoyed cheerleading more. But then I realized like, oh, I'm going to get cast in shows because I can tumble. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I can marry both of my my talents or both of my interests together like I remember tumbling it's it happened I was on at recess and I was doing backflips like on the playground I was such a little shit show off (laughs) but I was like doing backflips for all the children to watch on the playground and one of the theater teachers came outside and was like oh my gosh we're doing a play and we need like an acrobat so then I was like oh well, that's cool that I can like sing and do a play and I get to tumble in it. But then I also loved competitive cheerleading. Mm-hmm. It was such a crazy world. And now even watching it, I get such like nostalgia watching yeah. cheerleading competitions on TV or watching friends that I have like still cheer and tumble. Um, it was such a different world. But I injured myself. I, I kind of flipped flop back and forth doing cheerleading and then I'd be like oh I got offered a show I'm gonna do the show and then I would go with a friend to like an open gym at the cheerleading gym and I'd be like I want to cheer again okay so I did that till about my sophomore year of high school and then I injured myself pretty badly I tore the ligaments in both of my knee and my left knee and my right knee and I took like a few months off from cheerleading and then I went back and I did it again Tore the ligaments again. Oh my god. So I was like, I think this is like a sign that I am injuring myself from cheerleading. Because in cheerleading, they push you harder and harder and harder to do the next trick. What's the next best trick that you can do? Which is understandable. That's what you do in any sport Sport, or, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But... In theater, they don't understand gymnastics or cheerleading, really. So they're just like, you can do this flip that's up in the air, right. that's high, that's, that's impressive. But it, yeah. like for a gymnast or a, a tumbler, you know, like, oh, that's not that hard for me. It still looks impressive. Right. Like, if I'm going to do a backflip with a twist, I feel like that doesn't even look as impressive on stage as like just a big high like back tuck. Right, which is And the audience and the, th- the people like on stage, they don't know the the difference totally, I think yeah, and like totally. how hard it is on your body whereas like in gymnastics and cheerleading like if you do a back tuck when they know you can do a backflip with two twists they're so like they're gonna be like why are you doing a backflip right. you know I think it got to the point even in high school for the for, for the years leading up to it I was just like I'm gonna push through the pain it just happens injuries happen like I'm just gonna push through the pain but there was a practice that I was at 
And I remember I did a double full, which is like what I said for the people out there who don't know what that is. It is like a backflip with two rotations. You do two twists. Jeez. So one rotation flip, but two twists. And I did it again where I hurt my legs and the coach was like, we're going to run the routine again, which meant like, I was like, I know that I tore the ligaments in my knee and they're about to make me do the routine again and I'm going to have to do it. So I did it. Oh my God. And I got, I landed it, but I could not walk. Like I had to lay on the ground and scoot off of the floor at the end of the routine. That's how bad. And I just remember like, (laughs) just kind of like flashing forward. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be my life for the next I'm going to go to college and I'm going to cheer in college and I'm going to do this for the next four years. I'm going to be scooting my butt off of the floor or scooting myself around like life (laughs) for the next four years. And I just was like, I can't do this. I can't. I'm so afraid of injuring myself, but I had pushed through for so long. And I think that then I was just like, I'm going to do theater. I'm going to do theater where I can still tumble, but I get to pick the restrictions or I get to pick like what I'm going to do. Right. I mean, I was already visiting colleges for cheerleading scholarships. Wow. I was looking at Western Kentucky. Their coach had approached me and was like, I'm going to give you, you'll be on the varsity squad as a freshman. I went to visit, and this is, I think they no longer work there, so I feel okay saying this, but I went to visit as a sophomore, and they put me in their nationals qualifying video, which is illegal. Like, I'm <laughs> not only am I underage, but I'm also not a part of their team. <laughs> But I just remember being like, this is the coolest thing. Right. So, yeah, I was very into cheerleading. But whenever that happened at that practice, I just, I went home to my mom and I said, I think I'm done. Like, I think I just need to do theater. Wow. I'm so afraid of hurting myself. Like, I can't walk. I am a 17-year-old kid limping around his high school hallways because of cheerleading. This episode is recorded in part to support Healthy On You. Healthy On You was founded in 2015 in San Diego by Samantha Binkley. Sam is a certified health coach whose passion for healthy cooking inspired the development of this organic spice and salt blend line. Her edible playlist offers creatively named spices that correspond with popular song titles. You can purchase prepackaged collections or build your own with spices such as Hit the Roast Jack, The Fennel Countdown, and No Woman, No Spice. Each collection also includes three delicious and nutritious recipes. Healthy on You is dedicated to providing the best products with the highest quality ingredients. Each spice is USDA certified organic with no preservatives or artificial flavors. Visit HealthyOnYou.com to join their mailing list and receive cooking tips and news of their latest deals. They are currently offering free shipping on orders over $60. Follow Healthy on You on Instagram to support Sam and remember to shop small this holiday season. My twin brother, the way my mom describes it, she was like, Brayden is very book smart. Like, he has to read and study the material that he knows is going to be on the test to do the test. Whereas, like, Cameron is just, like, street smart. Right, right. He just, like, is going to guess. Or, like, by process of elimination, this is probably what the answer is. And that's how I kind of, like, floated through high school. Right. I also cheated a lot in Spanish class. I'm sorry, Senora Nafis. Like, I did cheat through col- I mean, through high school. Um, but I always knew that I was either going to go to a school for cheerleading. I was right. like, I have a full ride cheerleading scholarship to go to a university that the academics, I don't really need that high of an SAT score to go here. Right. Or I'm going to go to school for theater, which yeah. is like, 
<laughs> clown school yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to have a, a high GPA. I did have a pretty high GPA. I think I had like a 3.8 GPA yeah, yeah. in high school. But yeah, it was. I knew I was going to go for one of those two things. So I never really worried. I think I always knew I was going to go for theater. But I was pretty lazy. Wow, I wish I could go back now and just be like... Cameron, snap out of it. Like, try hard. Yeah. Even in college, like, try harder. But in high school especially, like, I just kind of was coasting. And it wasn't until January, my senior year, where my mom was like, where are you going to go to college? (laughs) Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I have a four-ride cheerleading scholarship. And I got into one theater school that I drove three hours and auditioned for. Like, I'm fine. Yeah. But come January, then I was like, oh, I need to get my ass in gear. I need to audition. So I auditioned for, I only actually ended up auditioning for a couple schools and I was waitlisted at Otterbein. And then I had committed to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana for musical theater. I think that we did pay like our first deposit and it was Cinco de Mayo, my senior year. I remember my mom called me. I was in my high school boyfriend's living room playing the Wii, Wii tennis. And she called me and we got into a huge fight and she was like, Cameron, or maybe we were about to send the deposit and I was telling her to wait because I was like, I'm going to wait to see if I got off the wait list. Okay. And she called me and she was like, Cameron, I'm going to send this deposit tomorrow. Like, I'm sorry. I think you're waiting for a call that's never going to come. Wow. And I hung up on her. I was so mad. I hung up on her. And then a- immediately my phone started ringing again. And my boyfriend, Eric, was like, you should pick that up. And I was like, no, it's just my mom calling back. He's like, no, it says like a Columbus, Ohio number. And I picked it up and I thought it was my mom calling back and it was Otterbein University offering me a position in their class. Wow. And uh, the reason I got in the program was because a boy from Louisville that I grew up with, Denzel, turned down his spot. And he had called me the week before to be like, hey, I turned down my spot. You may get a call. And I was like, no, I'm not going to get your spot. Like, he's this fierce black guy. I was like, they're going to offer it to another fierce black guy. Right. Like, And lo and behold, like, I got into the school. Because he turned it down. And, and I called insane. my mom and I said, Mom, you're never going to leave what, what call I just got. And I was like, it was Debbie Byrne, this woman from Otterbein, calling to say that I got into Otterbein. And she's like, you're joking. You're lying to me right now. She thought I was pulling a prank on her. And I was like, no, I got into Otterbein. So then the next few weeks, like my mom and Debbie were on the phone probably every single day trying to get scholarship money wow. for an out-of-state tuition. And, yeah, my mom was a superhero and truly, like, made it happen. Wow. That's crazy, man. What a, what a journey. And then I guess by the time you got to Otterbein, the rest is pretty much history in terms of, like, you know, your life getting on track of, like, theater. And then... I guess, but not really. <laughs> I remember I got interviewed recently for an Otterbein student, uh, an Otterbein alum, runs an Instagram account, and they do, like, a newsletter. And she asked me, she was like, you know, what did you learn in college? And I was like, I remember my junior year of college. Again, gosh, I wish I could go back and slap like young Cameron in, into gear. But I would carry a two liter. I wore Superman pajama pants to dance class. And I would bring a two liter of Mountain Dew to 9 a.m. tap class. And Sue Sauer, this teacher yelled at me. She grabbed the two-liter, threw it in the trash, and she was like, if you ever bring a two-liter into my class again, I will flunk you. I think that was the moment. Truly, I think my junior year, like, winter junior year of college is when I kind of snapped into gear and was like, oh my gosh, I need to take this more seriously. I need to take life more seriously. (laughs) And I remember people were going to audition at the Muni, 
and I didn't want to go, but I was like, this is what people who have their shit together do. <laughs> they go and audition at the uni. And I did, and by the like grace of God, I got cast. Um, and that kind of helped shape me, I think, into the performer. I think maybe more professional. I went there, and I remember the artistic director at the time asked me, what school do you go to, CCM or Michigan? Wow. He couldn't even fathom that there were other universities out there that were training professional theater performers than those two schools. And so I was like, okay, well, if this is what I want to do, I need to take it seriously. So going into my senior year, you know, I joined the union, the actors union, and I was just like, I have this on my resume and I'm going to be going and auditioning and doing my showcase for agents. Like, this is how I have to present myself. Right, right. So I think that kind of helped, like, mold me. That is crazy. You know, I think this carries into now. And we touched on this recently. I think we talked about this. That as soon as I stopped caring so much, I think there's this expectation when you graduate from a university, especially having worked, like, at the Muni. Like, I had this thing on my resume I had all these kids that I had worked with, all good friends I had made, and then immediately we moved to New York and they all started getting like Broadway shows or tours. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not successful if I don't book these as well. Like, And we all work together. We're the same caliber of talent. Like, We all work together at this theater. So like now we're expected to just move to New York City and get work. That also is an expectation from any university where you train in musical theater. You train, you move to New York, you book work. And if you don't, you're not successful. Right. And I think that I had this pressure on myself that I didn't apply to myself in high school or college. Mm. High school, I didn't apply it because I was like one of the only guys in the theater department. So I just knew that I was most likely, by process of elimination, was going to get roles. Right. I was going to get the lead roles. But in college... There were a lot more guys in the program, but I was like a song and dance man. One of the only song and dance right. guys at the time True, at my yeah, university. Yeah. So I relied on that. But yeah, this expectation when you get to New York that you need to be working. And it wasn't until, I don't know if it just like when I turned 30, I don't know. I just, I think it just came with age that I was like, I've done this enough. Mm-hmm. I've I've been in this these audition rooms. I've seen these casting directors. I've been in for this musical seven times. Like, I just need to relax, and I need to stop taking myself so seriously. And that is when I started booking work pretty regularly. Yeah. Like, I, I have been so grateful and so fortunate to have booked work pretty consistently since I graduated. But, like, the big, the big shows. Yeah. A lot of people were saying it's because, like, you were on a cruise ship. You weren't here in the city to go to those auditions. Right. But then when I was here and I did go to those auditions, I didn't book them. Yeah. But, yeah, I think as soon as I took off the pressure and was like, I'm going to view this as, like, a dance class. I'm going to go into this dance audition like it is a dance class. I'm just going to learn the combo, and I'm just going to do my best and let it be like yeah leave it in the room. and also being where i was like there were days when i was in a bad mood or days when i was like i'm in a goofy mood or days when i was in a happy mood and i think when i would go into an audition room i would be like okay it doesn't matter what i'm feeling today it doesn't matter if i'm happy sad or angry or goofy i need to suppress all of that and be this professional artist who is a professional dancer but if I use that let me dance out my anger let me get this like goofiness out or let me like I'm just so flipping happy to be in an audition room and flipping happy to be dancing today like 
and use that and just be where I am. And I don't know. Uh, it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. But as soon as I started taking, like, stopped taking myself so seriously is when I feel like I started booking work. I was in callbacks for Something Rotten and for Finding Neverland at the same time. Okay. And I remember I was, it was like a, maybe a second callback for Finding Neverland. And it was on the same day as my Something Rotten final call. And, but they were like two hours apart, three hours apart. So my agent was like, hey, just go to Finding Neverland, do the dance, and then like just let them know you have to leave. And I called my agent and I was like, you know what? I think that I'm not going to go to Finding Neverland. Wow. And she was like, I don't think you should, she said, I don't think you should put all your eggs in one basket. Funny enough, Something Rotten is about eggs. So I was like, I am going to put all my eggs in this basket. I just knew that I, I didn't want to push myself so hard at this Finding Neverland call that I knew that I wasn't really right for. Like I said, I'm going to push myself because it's not my strongest style of dance. I'm going to push myself and not perform to my maximum talent. Maximum talent? So my yeah. maximum capability. Yeah. I'm not going to, I feel like, execute it well enough to book it. And I'm also then going to be so focused on that that I'm not going to be able to put my full potential into my Something Rotten callback. And I'm so glad I did. I mean, it worked out yeah. for me. And, and who knows? Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Maybe it would have gone the other way. Maybe I still would have gotten it if I had gone to Finding Neverland. Maybe I would have gotten both. But I just, in that moment, was like, I know what is best for me in this moment. Yeah. And what I'm right for, and I'm more right for something rotten. Wow. But 23-year-old Cameron wouldn't have done that. 23-year-old Cameron would have been like, you're perfect for everything. Right. You're perfect for both. You have to push yourself and go to both. Right. And the same thing happened with Aladdin. Like, I went in for an audition, and there was like maybe one other white guy Mm -hmm. at this open call. Mm -hmm. I had never been in for Aladdin. Oh, wow. And I walked in, and it was me and one other white guy. And I didn't feel comfortable. And I called Steven and I was like, I'm going to walk out. And he was like, no, 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 stay. He's like, you're already there. Mm-hmm. I was like, nope, I don't feel it. I don't feel right. I'm going to leave. Because even if I stay right now, I think I'm so in my head that I will not perform as best as I want yeah. to. As, as well as I want to. So I left and I was like, if the Aladdin casting looks at my resume and headshot and they think, oh, he can do this show, let them call me in. And like four weeks later, I got a call. From my wow. agent. I actually was at my agent's office signing a Christmas contract. And they were like, hey, we just got you an audition for Aladdin. And I was like, oh my gosh, great. So they had sent my audition, my headshot to casting. They had seen him and be like, he, he will be great for the show. And I remember reading the breakdown and being like, this is me. Like, this is what I can do. It was like a tumbler who dances in the ensemble, who can cover one of the comedic roles that sings to a B flat. Yeah. I was like, that is me. <laughs> And so well, I remember I, you were at the apartment during that audition process and you were just so calm about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just like, like I said, I, it's just, I knew and the, the same thing with something rotten and finding Everland and the same thing with Aladdin, like in those moments I was like, what is best for me? What do I need to make myself be so calm or to make myself feel like I'm going to perform to my, perform my best. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times you have to remind, I have to remind myself that my agents and the, the business, like they work for me, like my agents work for me. So I need to tell them like, this is what I feel best for. Like, this is what is appropriate for me. This is what role I'm right for. I think I find that being on tour, I teach masterclasses for dance studios or high schools or, so you know, cool. middle schools. 
which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. But one question I always get asked is like, what's your dream role? And again, when I first graduated college, if I was on the ship or if I had was like teaching at my high school and someone asked me that and I was 23, 24 years old, I'd be like, it's to play this role and this show, you know. But now, I mean, if someone asked me what my dream role is, like technically I would say Josh and Big, which is such a horrible musical <laughs> and no one ever does it. So I probably will never do it. But now it, it, it's shaped, the answer is shaped to like be, what am I right for? Like my dream now is like to be working and to be, you know, have stability. Yeah. And to be able to pay for this apartment that I live in with my boyfriend and our cute dog. Right. Yeah. Cause your, your scope widens, right? Like yes. coming out of school, especially theater school, like you're focused on that one thing, like, you know, go to New York, get Broadway. Like that's it. Yeah. That's the path. If it's not that, then you're not good enough. You know what I mean? And like, when it really is the longevity of it to me like even like celebrities that i look up to and actors and stuff like that like their focus is about what can i do next to sort of challenge myself more what am i best for next you know what i mean like always trying to grow and always trying to like look for what you fit into like in terms of the business and just like yeah just taking that pressure off because like it seems like the things that are coming to you are they're meant to come to you like they're going to come to you and like not to say that you can sit back and coast and do nothing about it but like if you turn the attention more towards i have this home and i have this dog and my boyfriend and like we're in a solid place finally and like i i feel like maybe you're focusing on that more and that that is like the gift of the pandemic i feel yeah because you don't have the option to focus on the career as much right now i think that what it is it's like truly living in the present moment. I think when these people, when people would tell me, oh, if you were in New York City, you would be on Broadway or you would book this. Like, I am very much like, uh, if I am working, I am successful type of person. So I'm like, if I get offered a 10-month Disney cruise contract, I'm going to take it. If I get offered a three-month, like, Elf the Musical at the Fulton Opera House, I'm going to take it. Yeah. I'm not going to sit in New York. And and that is some people's journey. Some people are like, I'm going to stay in New York until I book like a national tour or Broadway. Right. And that is 100% fine. But even when I was on Aladdin, people were going back to the city and auditioning for other things. They were looking at the, the future. They were like, what is my next big thing? Mm-hmm. And I truly was like, I'm going to ride this magic carpet until <laughs> the gas runs out. You know, like yeah. I am so happy and content to be working. Yeah. And again, that is not for everyone. And that is 100% fine. But like, for me, yeah, maybe what, like, to bring it all home is like, to pinpoint it is to be in the present moment. And in that present moment, I was working and I was doing like a dream show on a national tour on a huge scale. Like, uh, I was being present in that moment. And when I was auditioning, I was present in that moment. Like, I wasn't present the first time I went in, which is why I left. Because I knew that, like, eventually maybe that moment would come. And my agents did call me. And I was like, I can be present for this moment now. That is, yeah, I mean, that is it. Like, and, and maybe you were present in that moment to realize that that was not it. That that was that not was my not moment. Time. Yeah. yeah, that was not it. Like, yeah. that is, wow. Yeah. Like, that is so <laughs> inspiring. Because, like, that I feel like is the secret to life, you know? Because, yeah. like... I don't know. The the one thing that everybody talks about is like, I don't want to look back on my life and think of all the things I didn't do or this and that. And it's like, it's the same mentality of like, well, I'll never be good enough or there's always somebody better than me. It's like, well, there's always something you could have done. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's, you'll never be able to do everything in your life. You know what I mean? But like, 
you lived presently and in that moment that you were on tour with Aladdin like that was it like that was it like that was the thing because it was just you were living presently like with those people in that moment doing the show there was no comparison to anything else that you could have done because that was it yeah like I can't wait for it to come back. I said my profound moment. I got it. it. (laughs) No, it's like, I I think maybe that's how we've made the most of this time because we've focused on how can I presently right now do my best, be my happiest or whatever it is, like pursue whatever is going to make my day better, I guess. Cause like, I think it's so interesting to think about the end of life, you know, we sort of take for granted the fact that that end of life will even come. You know what I mean? In terms of like, I'll be 90 and at the end of my life sort of thing. So that is one piece of it. You know what I mean? Of just like living presently. But I feel like if you build that skill of like being present at the end of your life, will you even be able to look back? Because you'll be so absorbed in each moment that it's like, there will be no, Oh, I should, you know, it's well kind of to brainstorm off of this, which uh, another thing that we have talked about recently we don't especially as performers i don't know about muggles out there like i don't know what they do with their time but you know i i think that this time has been very valuable for me as well because it is allowing me to to do things that i only want to do i think i have this flaw of saying oh this oh gosh Here we okay, go. okay 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 i'm sitting up now oh, sitting so up. happy if i could go back and tell myself one thing that i've learned since college, like, you know, whenever you go back to college, you're like, what's one thing that you wish you had known in college? And I'm like, sure. don't say yes and. <laughs> don't say yes and. Yeah. That goes for so many things. I suck at improv. So that's one <laughs> of the reasons why I'm like, screw yes and. But also, like, oh God, this is like a tangent that's coming up. But good. when you're in college, they teach you to say yes and. When I'm doing the wild party at Otterbein, and there's an orgy scene. Never once did they talk about, is everyone comfortable? Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with this? Luckily, I, my dance partner was my best friend. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there were no boundaries that we could cross with one another. But there are other people, I'm sure, that were in that cast who had never had a sexual experience before. Who didn't know what an orgy was. Right. I, and we never talked about it. We never talked about sexual compliance. So then you come to New York City and you're just told to say yes and. Do you want to go in for this show? I don't think I'm right for this show. I don't think that I'm going to go in there and show my best work. But you say yes and. You do it anyway. Because you're so afraid of what's going to happen if you don't. Mm -hmm. If you're working at a theater and this director tries something sexually with you after rehearsal when it's just you and them, like... And if you don't comply, you're difficult to work with. This director can then smear your name all over the business. And if you turn down a contract, if you get offered something rotten and Finding Neverland, and you turn down Finding Neverland, that choreographer is never going to work, like, hire you again. And, you know, if there's drama with a boy backstage and he used to date this person and now you're dating that person like and then that person becomes a Broadway you know it's just you're just always putting these unfortunate circumstances that as performers we're just expected to adapt to the environment to adapt to these circumstances and say yes and and if you don't you're difficult to work with and 
I am so happy, not happy that these situations have happened, but I'm so happy with where theater is headed that we are bringing to light these unfortunate circumstances. We are bringing to light the sexual misconduct and the sexual harassment in the workplace and the racial injustice in the workplace. And we are being taught that it's not okay to say yes and. In an improv scene, it's okay to say yes and. I apologize to improv, but uh, I'm still not good at it. But the way that I'm going to tie this in is like, that's what I've learned since I graduated. That it's like... And this is why I think that I am to the point where I am. It's like, I didn't say yes and. I questioned my agents about the call. I did what was best for me in the moment. And how that is carrying over to COVID is I am starting to say no and. Or like if something, if I don't want to be in this situation or if I don't want to do that thing today, COVID has allowed me to say no. A lot of times, maybe I use it as an excuse. I'm like, well, it's difficult times. So, like, I we shouldn't be in this situation. Like, I can't hang out today because I don't want to risk it. But yeah. it's carrying into my life as well that, like, I'm only doing things that fill my cup up. And for a long time, I think that I just said yes, or I was appeasing someone, or I was a pushover and just said yes to things that I didn't necessarily want to do. Whether that's going to a movie when I don't really need to be spending money or I've seen the movie already or I don't want to see the movie, you know? Like, little things like that that I'm just like, oh my gosh. People told me it would happen when I was 30, but now I'm almost 32 and it's just now clicking where I'm like, I'm going to do things that I want to do. Yeah. I'm sorry I don't want to do that. I'm sorry I don't want to go do this or... And with the friends thing and everything, like, it is so challenging because there is an expectation. Like, there's feelings involved in the sense of, like, well, if you don't come and spend time with me, like, my first reaction is, like, well, he doesn't want to be with me. But really, it's what you need to do for you. Yeah. And the two aren't related. And I think because so often we have our own insecurities of, like, our worth to other people, you know... It doesn't even, I'm not even thinking about what you might need. I'm thinking only about like what it means to me. And like, and yet, and yet I don't think about myself in situations and think like, what do I need? You know, yeah. I'm only, I'm only worried about how other people are affecting me or how I'm affecting, I'm affecting them. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, wow. It's a dude. vicious cycle. It is, that... man. We are a very athletic family. My twin brother especially, thankfully I don't think I compared myself a lot to him as a child. But like I'm packing it now, I'm like, oh, he did have such wild success as a basketball player. He was the star basketball player. He was a McDonald's All-American. He, you know, went to the NBA training camp after college. He now plays overseas professionally and has since we graduated college in 2012. And he's the perfect man. I mean, he's just, he's sweet. He's funny. He's a good dad. He has three kids. Like, he's a good husband. He's talented. He, you know. So, I think there was, like, this, like, oh, shit, I need to keep up with his level. Yeah. I need to strive, which I, I'm very grateful because I think that it has, like, helped shape me into the man I am today. But I think the the way it ties in, it's like, I had to be successful and keep up with him. And then, like, letting people down was, like, my dad. I think the doing cheerleading instead of sports Mm. let him down the like night throwing the baseball and like it wasn't good enough for him like letting him down and like seeing how upset that he got 
and seeing how upset he was when I decided to go to school for theater instead of sports. Right. And those type of things just of letting letting people down where I was like, oh crap, like I don't like this feeling. I don't like people being disappointed in me. And then that is part of the reason I think Steven and I get into arguments or why I shut down with him mm-hmm. or why I need to take space. Because when he comes to me with a problem or comes to me that I made him feel a particular way, it immediately makes me feel like I let him down. Yes, yes, I feel the same way. And as opposed to just being like, I am so sorry I let you down, I shut down. I'm like, oh my gosh, I failed him. The same way that I failed my dad as a kid. Or the same way I failed, you know, whoever I failed. A relationship, a friend. And so that is something I'm working on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Trying to be in touch with is that... In that moment, I'm thinking about myself. I was thinking about, I'm thinking about myself and how I let them down, not how I made them feel. Yeah. And then later I can go back and address them and, and apologize for making them feel that way. But I need to, I'm trying to be better about realizing that like, when Steven comes to me with a concern, like he's not mad at me for letting him down. He's not disappointed. I just made him feel a certain way and he's being transparent and open with me about that. And but trust. it's my pride that like, and my sense of failure that gets in the way that makes me feel like I did something wrong so then I'm gonna get defensive and how could you feel that way how could you you know how could you be hurt that I let you know well maybe I you know maybe I'm upset maybe I you let me down so (laughs) right right which is exactly what I saw my dad do as and I'm not trying to place it all the blame on him I'm not trying to oh god if he listens to this and I think even he is learning. I think as he and I mend our, our relationship, you know, we did not speak to each other. My real dad and I did not speak to each other for like eight years. But as him and I mend our relationship, I think he's realizing the tendencies he has. And I think I'm realizing it, which I, I'm glad I'm realizing it a lot earlier than he did. But these tendencies I have and this sense of letting people down. I remember at a young age doing my first professional show and being so distraught when it was over. How could I see these people almost every day for a month and a half and then not see them anymore? And that just, I was like, oh my gosh, like time is so fleeting. So I have to make the most of it. Like I have to grab the moment by the balls and like, fucking live so I was like if I'm gonna do something I'm gonna go hard like if I like tomorrow is not promised and time goes quickly so you better like do it now so I was like oh my gosh I met this boy an hour ago like time is fleeting I love him (laughs) so you know I used to look at it as a flaw like how quickly I fell in love but also, it was a flaw because there were people that I was with that I was like, I know they're not right for me, but I thought I loved them. So now I need to, I need to not fail. Mm. I need to stay in this and make it work. Wow. But yeah, that took me a while to realize. I think that wasn't into my like late 20s that I finally realized like, oh, it's not bad if this person's not right for you. Yeah, yeah. You loved them 
for the time that you did and and you gave each other what you needed in those mo- in those present moments. Yeah, I totally agree. If I was to word it for myself, I'd be like, I just show myself quickly because I think that I fall in love with my friends very quickly. Yeah. Because I knew, again, from that theater experience that, like, I'm only going to have a limited time with these people. I need to, like, get close to them fast. Mm-hmm. But I've also realized how important me time is. There were times when I feel like I wasn't giving the best version of myself to those friends because I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm. Because then when those moments that I was with them or the moments that like we did have like a crazy night at bars and stuff, like I felt like I was the best version of myself. I felt like I was rejuvenated, you know, the times that I was alone, I was rejuvenated being alone. And then the times when I was with them, I was like, Oh my gosh, I can like be my, my true self and it just made that, those moments those present moments so much more valuable to that me that is it man. I am very happy yeah. right now with where my life is even during these unfortunate circumstances yes yeah. I think it's just really great to know that it's possible you know yeah I mean not, not I don't know if there's ever gonna be like a you know here, here's a how to to get to where I'm at you know that's like something I never wanted the podcast to be I yeah. think it's just cool to know that like it's possible because you're living it and that's really cool. And I think honestly what it, the podcast is not like, yeah, a guide to get to this place. It is that everyone is in a different place, mm-hmm. but just be in your present. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> My profound moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>